Welcome to Chaos People, the science and technology podcast that embraces the chaos. Your hosts are computational geneticist, evolutionary biologist, and Trekkie, Phil, and data scientist, artificial intelligence expert, and coding guru, Nick. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Hey, 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 we brought back a special guest from our Aliens episode in which I totally destroyed uh, both of them. And no one believes in aliens anymore, right? <laughs> Welcome back. It's my brother, Matt. Uh, we're gonna hey, talk guys. Hey, hey, we're going to talk about something pretty interesting today. Um, something we wanted to get Matt on for a while. And, um, you know, it's about, and he, my brother's very open about this, but it's about, you know, addiction and the stuff that he went through with that. And uh, we want to try to make this informative, but also a source of inspiration for people who may be struggling. So Yeah, I want this to be inspirational. Like, you know, we don't want this to be an A&E intervention kind of like fucking, <laughs> you know, addiction smut, yeah. right? We want this to be this yeah. positive story that for those of you who are um, going through this, that there is a, a redemption arc waiting for you as long as you put your mind to yep. it. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Yeah. For sure. All right. Well, where do you want to start, Matt? Um, well, like, you know, Nick was saying, I think we should talk about um we can either talk about my 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 story, my past, what what addiction, you know, how it started or what addiction. Maybe we should start with What like, does addiction what, mean to you guys and what oh, is that's good. your what does addiction in your life kind of look like? Yeah, I I, it's so hard. Like I'm like talking to a werewolf, right? Like I feel like addiction is like you're you become a werewolf at times, and like, like people who drink turn into a werewolf and like they can't stop themselves. So they're not even mm. this person anymore. That they they become this thing that uh, is foreign to them and that they don't like, but they just become this werewolf. And it's like for a person who uh, is an actual werewolf, you know, I'm like a. I'm like this not a werewolf, like this shitty version of a werewolf. Like I have my own addiction, but it's like I can't communicate to people who who did go through a lot of suffering and whatnot about it. So, um, yeah, it's hard for me to define because I don't know what true addiction is, where your life uh, is, um, yeah, can can go into shambles what? because of it. I like that metaphor, though, because, you know, a lot of people don't believe that that addiction is a disease. Addiction is a disease, you know, and for a lot of people, it it is like that, you know, like becoming a werewolf, becoming something that you're not and having that thing control your life is basically what addiction is. Um, addiction, can, addiction doesn't have to be from drugs. It can, you know, as you know, it can be many things. It can be sex. It can be, um, you know, gambling. It could be work. It could be working out. Obviously, there are forms of addiction that are a lot more... Um, destructive than others drug addiction of course is is one of those and you know and being in the mental health uh field myself we call it we like to call it substance use disorder is what we call it and that's kind of the terminologies have changed over the years and whatnot because you know there's a lot of stigma that comes with the word addiction and an addict and junkie and that kind of t stuff so um but for the you know for the for this show for the terms of just using this saying the word addiction to me addiction is um you know is your life becoming unmanageable by something that you cannot control, right? So my 
early years, you know, when I when I grew up, I had, you know, I was addicted to a lot of things. I think I I, I had a drug addiction, but I had an addiction to relationships. I had addiction to women. Um, have you know addiction to uh, obviously tobacco and stuff like that as drugs. But my myself, I see myself as someone who struggles with addiction in multiple facets of my life. Right. So I think a lot of people can relate to that, even if they haven't been a drug addict. They can relate to some kind of addiction in their life. Yeah. Do you think like addiction is like a human quality? Like it's like a is it, it, like humanity is is it like an addictive thing? Like uh, there's a certain addiction to it, right? Like you're geared towards something. What's your drive, right? Mm. That's it's not in the way that you define it as like your life um, becomes unmanageable, but there is a certain kind of drive that can lead you astray. I think there's real quick before man answer, I think there's two things we could learn from evolution, right? One of them is consciousness and the other one is scarcity, right? So for a lot of our evolutionary history, things were extremely scarce, whether they be mates, food, whatever you can think of, right? So I think we were hardwired to like gain resources as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's part of it. Now the substance abuse part is interesting because it's not food. But it is satiation of the consciousness, right? Like being conscious all the time and worrying about things is fucking exhausting, right? Yeah. And I think that um, drugs provide a way to shut that off for a while. And that's not even getting into psychiatric illness, right? There's that too. That's a third part, but that's not even touching that. But, but that's so the other – yeah. And, yeah. And, there, and then the, the interesting thing is there's, there's a social aspect to addiction as well that, you know, you look at – you look at you look in the past and you look at hunter gatherer groups and you really don't see you know addiction when people are fending off you know tigers and and you know are trying to live every life with their life by you know basically just you know being at like a, like a hunter gatherer right so like i think it comes with a, a social structure to where addiction became something where it's it's a mix of mental illness right or there's the mental illness involved with addiction but there's also I think a point where uh, a society reached a point where there was when you, ha I, I, it's almost like, I don't think you can really have addiction unless you have a, a society of abundance, right. Of where there's things that there's, there's enough to eat. There's enough things going on. I think addiction is a, I'm not saying it's a, uh, I'm not saying it's, it's, a, it's causality of, of social, of, of social, of like a social construct, but I'm saying that I don't think it would exist unless we have gotten to a certain point as human beings in yeah. our evolution. Or if a drug and exists, it, right? Because there are Amazonian tribes that chew tobacco leaves all day, right? There are, but yeah. yes. And you see, but like you never, you never really, I mean, it, there could have been, right? We don't know. We hear of like ayahuasca and other drugs, stuff like that. And yeah. marijuana was used and mushrooms were used, but you never really hear stories of a, a Native American saying that, oh, this, this man, you know, was uh, an addict in you know ancient times right, or right, whatnot. Right. Yeah, I mean you know the first addiction probably came with alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, you know in, in in the times of you know probably like ancient Greeks and Sumerians know, I think had alcohol right. Well, yes, they had beer and 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 that's when you had a you had abundance right. So like the first addicts were probably people in higher society where they had things they needed. They didn't have to strive every day to get food to get water to get you know th these things and i think addiction started in that 
mindset of where, you know, and, and it's interesting because addiction then leads you into a, a, into a kind of, uh, what's the word mindset of becoming totally fast, totally focused on one thing and survival being what is at stake when you're in an, in, in, in an addiction. Yeah. It, so what I'm yeah, saying it, is, it, it's, is like, it, yeah, you, yeah. You know what I'm, what I'm it, saying? Like, yeah. The, I think the scarcity thing is pretty interesting because like people who are addicted aren't starving, right? They're not dying from starvation. Right. They're dying from the drug and whatever, all the, the second order effects that happens from it. Um, and not necessarily mm. on like the survival, pure survival aspect of it. Like, oh, I'm going to get killed by fucking wolves or I'm going to starve to death, right? Mm -hmm. Or I can't drink water. It's more like I can eat. I can find places to eat. I can, I have those resources. There's a scare. There's no scarcity there when it comes to, to living. But it's just the, the the drug just hijacked a huge part of like the the mode of life or the compass of life. Yes, but the interesting thing is when you become when you become addicted to a substance or a thing, then survival is now your every life is is just trying to get that substance, and and it becomes almost like that hunter gatherer where you're your complete existence is just getting that, that next hit, that next hit, that next hit to not feel sick, to not, you know, to not be starving, right? That feeling of, of like when a person is starving and they will do anything to eat, it's the same kind of feeling that you would do anything to use, anything to get that high again. It's like what Shane Gillis said. It's like, a, you go on quests now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You start making quests yeah. to, to gather <laughs> resources to, Gather copper and sell it, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I find it very interesting. Like I, I love to look at his. I love history, and I love looking at history, and I love the anthropology side of this. Of like, you know, how did addiction start? Where did it start? Um, and I, I really believe that obviously mental health plays a huge part in it, um, as does environmental, as does, um, you know. So as does genetic, yeah, right? Yeah. So there's, there's three main factors with addiction. It's genetic um, and it's, it's, you know, genetic being obviously I have it in my genes. My, my father was an addict. Uh, my uncles were addicts. Um, I have that predisp predisposition. I have the environmental predisposition where it was around me a lot. And then I have the mental health predisposition as well. So I kind of have all three, you know, predispositions, which led me to, you know, using at a very young age for myself it was you know uh drinking and smoking pot is where i started um and you know i can talk a little bit about the mental health side of things real quick just to just to kind of give you guys an idea of like how that fed in uh, how that was for me so i suffer from tourette's um not auditory tourette's so it's like you know you won't really hear me sometimes i'll i'll say things or do certain things but mostly um you know in the in the in the manifestation of ticks, like physical ticks. So for me growing up, it was very hard because, you know, I think like a lot of kids didn't, I didn't know what was wrong with me. Right. I had a really, um, focused mind. Like my mind was, no, I'm sorry, a really, um, unfocused mind. So my mind was always constantly racing from thought to thought, 
very, very, very hard to concentrate on things. A lot of people who suffer from Tourette's also have ADD. Um, so it, it would also, you know, manifest in, in myself as being a lot of, uh, being, being much of a loner. So I, I was, a I was very much a, a loner in my, in my, was it years. defined in your life that you had Tourette's or was it kind of this, it was just a you thing, right? Or was it like, yeah, it was definitely a me oh, thing wow, because so. I didn't know. So, so we knew there was something wrong with right. me. Right. Um, but my mom got me tested at a young age and the doctor wasn't really too sure of what it was. And he thought that I would kind of grow out of it. Cause a lot of kids have ticks and they grow mm-hmm. out of it. Right. Where my ticks actually got worse as I got older. Yeah, because Tourette's in um, my mind, like back in the day, um, was like auditory, like mm-hmm. like a person would curse. Right. Yeah, a lot like, of people think that that that's just the yeah. Like yeah. I think culturally, that's what we're kind of like the association with Tourette's is like that auditory. You know, kid screams out and like curses at the teacher kind of thing, right? It just kind of yeah. is. Uh, it's not a, necessarily a tick. It's more like um, I don't know. South Park kind of framed my mind on what Tourette's is yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, so yeah. I know I know so, access to other forms of it or like the subtle versions of it and so um, I can see how a person like a kid um, without proper you know medical assistance would not identify this or how to address it right they'll just think they're losing their mind or I don't even know how you would interpret it so imagine, so the way that my neurologist kind of explained it to me made made sense to me. It's it's like an internal OCD. So OCD manifests its, itself in many different ways. You know, if someone has to click a, a light switch three times, someone has to walk a pace th- three times, you know, or whatever. They have to go and, you know, before they lock their door at night, they have to lock it three times, that kind of thing. So imagine internal Tourette's where... I have to make a certain facial movement or I have to make a certain, uh, I have to crack my knuckles or I have to, you know, move my body a certain way. So it's kind of an internalized OCD where my body is the, is the, uh, I guess the, the vessel of my, you know, yeah, the repetitive behavior is internal. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that, you know, and that for me made a lot of sense because, you know, I didn't know that like OCD and Tourette's were linked in that kind of way. I didn't understand it. Um, but for me as a kid, it was just really hard to understand that I have these, these weird things about me that, you know, everyone would, you know, make fun of. And I think that caused me to do a lot of, um, a lot of self reflect, not so much self reflecting as, 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 as much isolating, you know, I would isolate a lot, even though I had friends and I had, you know, my family and things like that. I was very much a lonely child. I spent a lot of time in my own head. I still do. Um, and I, I kind of have come to terms with that in a lot of ways. But I think a lot of people in addiction can can kind of relate to that. They spend a lot of time in their own head. I see. So the, the, the initial kind yeah. of um, spending too much time alone in your in your thoughts, right? Feeling your thoughts started yeah. at that age where yeah, yeah, you very can kind of spiral and, um, more quickly than another person. Yes. And, and I think for me... Uh, one thing that I always felt is that I always felt people were talking about me or saying things about me or I was, I was very paranoid as a kid about what things, and, and I cared a lot about what people said about me and what they thought about me as a kid. Um, and I really wanted to have that, um, 
acceptance that I felt like I, I didn't have from people. And what happened was the first time I used a substance, which was alcohol, I completely started to, I, I completely didn't care about that acceptance anymore. It was almost like they, they had to accept me no matter what. This is who I was. I don't care. That whole, um, you know, feeling of me feeling pressure to, to fit in and everything, it kind of just went away. It's like the internal pressure went away, right? It's not like, yes, it's yes, not like the outside yes, noise yeah. was any different. It was just like the internal noise kind of went away. Yeah, it was the totally the internal right. noise, which, which in, internally changed the outside for mm-hmm. me, right? So like, if that makes any sense. So like, you know, yes, the outside changed in a way because my, myself changed the way I perceived the world changed. Yeah. Isn't that right? weird? Like the reality is entirely your view of it, right? Absolutely. It's, that's all Absolutely. you have access to. And so if you have a, a crazy yeah. internal voice, that's reality for you. That's all there is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, growing up, I didn't have like a horrible childhood. You know what I mean? There's people that I've spoken to have had horrible childhoods. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people, you know, it's a kind of a stigma that people have is like, you know, anyone who's in addiction has had to had, you know, something really wrong with them or they had to have been gone, gone through something. And like, we all go through our own things and we all have our own traumas. Right. Um, but you know, I came from a loving family. Yes. My, my father was, you know, dealing with addiction at a young age and they got, my parents got divorced at a young age. Yes. I saw, you know, some things at a younger age and, and have been through some things, but you know, for the most part, my my early childhood was pretty normal. Grew up with a single mother. You know, my brother was five years older than when, older than me, so he he was you know out of the house a lot when I was younger. I mean, for the most part, I had um, some. I didn't really have too many friends growing up. I had some friends that, looking back now, were not really good friends. They were mostly the kind of friends that would, um, you know, talk about you behind your back, give you a little little side note so my our family's catholic we grew up catholic and when my mom and dad got divorced as as a catholic person that was very shunned in 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 our culture in in the italian american culture um so a lot of my friends kind of shunned me after that happened and it caused our family to kind of lose standing i guess you could say in 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 our community i see like and i you know, yeah so we we kind of became even more isolated in in, in the community. is that um i don't want to like put on too much um because i don't know the truth of it but like do you think that was just internal noise that you thought it was or was it just kind of it was actually like shunning like there was actual um so not so much, I think, uh, so for my friends, there was actual shunning. So I, I, I know for a fact that my one friend was like told to not like really speak to me anymore because Oh, of wow. It. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so my mom and her and his mom had a falling out and just because you know, of be- after that divorce because yeah, shit. yeah. Because of divorce. Yeah. Um, fucking Catholicism, I mean, I know, dude. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and. You know, I mean, like the church, even the church, like had like kind of like looked at my mom a certain way because I think she would try to get the divorce divorce annulled, and they, you know, they said no. Um, and that was, you know, if you were to get it annulled, it would look better, you know. But they weren't, um, they weren't too happy with my mom either. Um, 
I remember my mom being afraid to even like go to church and she would send my brother and I to church uh, together. Um, and we had some interesting times there, didn't we, Phil? Going to church together. Yeah. Should we should we tell uh, that story real quick or no? A couple of couple <laughs> yeah, of heathen cut the ice couple of heathens yeah. going to church alone yeah. without their parents. All right, real quick, it. real quick. Yeah. There's this there was this woman that went to the church that was um, mentally challenged and she was older, right? So we're all sitting in the pews, those wooden pews, right? And the the priest is giving the homily, and all of a sudden, like, there's a moment of silence, and this lady rips one, dude, and it like. It like reverberates on that wood, and it's Holy like rawr, 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 rawr. <laughs> throughout the fucking thing, right? My brother and I lost it, bro. What's lost the sound it. of God, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we and my brother and I go up for communion, and like in front of the whole congregation, the priest is like berating us for laughing, saying that the devil's inside of us, and yeah. like all this stuff, and yeah. sends us and like sends us home. All right, so f- and my dumbass, <laughs> you know, yeah, no, Phil, yeah. like Phil has like the um, the imme- like if it's a fart, it's immediate, right? For you, like there's no, oh, yeah, yeah. I immediately there's laugh. no like yeah. filter to like okay, let's let's think about where I am. <laughs> it just yeah. it just in- you go straight into laughter. Yeah, yeah. and uh, instead, of my dumbass, instead of like waiting 15 minutes with my brother, I just walked straight home. My mom's like, "Why are you here so early?" Oh damn! So I told, but I mean, they were gonna call my mom anyway, so right. I just yeah, told they her. Call- called yeah. damn but anyway yeah but so you know that was you know the the we were expected to go to church even still and, and you know so like growing up the way we did you know i look back now and i and i and i think of myself as like you know this really i i thought i was more uh inclusive in my you know, friendships and whatnot. But like, I look back now and I totally look back and see a kid who just spent time with myself and like, just totally isolated all the time. And and I, and I, I almost, I found comfort in it. Right. I found comfort in the solitude um, because then at least no, I didn't have to worry about anyone, you know, saying things about me or, or, or making fun of me or whatnot, but it, it gave me some really unhealthy habits, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, and I learned to, kind of um my way of dealing with things was just burying it you know and 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 just pushing it down and acting like it didn't exist right and and i think that came from myself you know isolating so much so you didn't you didn't have any yeah you didn't have any tools to kind of you know exactly to express yourself in a way where you can kind of deal with it with your mom with your brother kind of deal with it together versus just being alone with your thoughts and just spiraling into this weird, weird dimension, right? That you create weird yes. reality that you create a hundred percent, hundred percent. And, you know, for me, it wasn't so much, um, it wasn't so much that I was, you know, like a bad kid. Like I, I really wasn't, um, I would, you know, I was pretty good in school, um, about average, you know, I, I I had a lot of things that I was interested in, you know, including video games. And I always loved history and science and anything my brother was into, I was into, you know what I mean? Um, and it wasn't so much like I, I you know, internalized everything, but I, I definitely was, you know, if a, a different kind of kid. Like I, I, I was very introverted when I was younger. I was a little shy, but if you knew me, 
you know, I was completely different. Like, like if, if, you know, Phil could attest, like the side that he saw of me was completely different than the side other people would see of me. Yeah. You know, so I kind of was this person who would adapt to the, the, the scene I was in or whatever kind of, you know, scenario I was in, I would adapt to that. And that's, I think, well, I would argue similar that the, for a lot of addiction, people in addiction right. are kind of like the chameleons, you know? Yeah. I would so argue speak. that highly adaptability um, stems from, you know, the spiraling mind, right? Like you don't want to, yeah. you don't want to, you, you're going to bury things and you're not going to express yourself. You don't want to be seen in that way. You don't want to cause a scene and you're just going to just bury it and bury it and because that's all you can do. Or that's how you're yeah. coping with reality. And then you said you, your first thing was was alcohol. How does it? Yeah. How does it kind of escalate? So yeah. So um, from a young age, I was introduced to alcohol. Actually, I was like twelve. Um, my just a quick story. It was at my mom's wedding actually, where I got drunk for the first time. Uh, my stepbrother, who um, recently passed away but he was he was kind of my initial gateway into drinking and and drugs um so pot and 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 alcohol you know um and then i started smoking pot from the time i was about 12 13 i left my parents my mom had gotten married we left south philly and that was a big thing for me right because like even though I was a, a very introverted kid and was isolating a lot, that move from South Philly to the Northeast was like my life was ending, you know, for me, because it was the whole world that I knew. And I was going into this unknown and I had to meet new kids and I had to graduate eighth grade at a new school instead of finishing at the school I was at, which I was really upset about. But it turned out that I met some, you know, actual friends for the first time who you know they would laugh at my my Therese and stuff like that but they were actual friends to me and one of those friends I had started to smoke pot with a lot and we I mean I smoked pot every day for two to three years pretty much every day it was it was a ritual almost and looking back now you know pot even though pot was probably not the best thing because it interfered with my Tourette's it actually made my tics worse it still took me outside of myself and that kind of um, kind of led to, you know, me really understanding that drugs and alcohol were an escape. Right. And, and I understood that, you know, even though at that point I was still afraid of other drugs, I, I didn't want to try them. If someone probably were, were introduced me to them, even at the age of 12 or 13, I would have took, I would have taken it no matter what it was like. I remember the first time I took uh, a Xanax, I was like 13, 14, you know, a friend had got it from their mom's cabinet. I tried it and that was, you know, like another level of, of not caring. And, you know, someone who has ever taken Xanax, you know, I'm a person who has a lot of anxiety and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of going on just like crap going on in my head. So that first time of taking a Benzo was like calming. It was so much of a relief so much of a distressor in my in my life so i think you know even looking back at like that young age i was already willing to take whatever it was you know like I, there was no any, anything that just, yeah no, yeah whatever whatever right. was offered to me i would take and if it got you out of that 
you know, you're in a well, a deep well. Whatever got you out of that well quicker, you would have taken it, right? You Absolutely. Just, right? Yeah. Like I used to say that I was like a, a trash can. You know what I mean? Like no matter what it was, <laughs> if you gave it to me, I would take it. And that basically got me to the point where I where I was – actually, it wasn't the first time I took an opiate. The first time I took an opiate was when I broke my leg. Um, when was so that? So I was 13. Hmm. 13, broke my leg. Uh, skateboarding. Yeah, how did you how did you do that, Matt? So funny story. I, <laughs> I I was basically messing around with my friends. I was never like a really big skateboarder. I used to like riding bikes, like BMX and stuff like that. And I look over my friends and I say, "Watch this!" Right. So they think that I'm going to do something funny or do whatever. So I jump on this skateboard, and to give you an observation of it, basically what happened was. One leg shot up in the air while the other leg was firmly planted on the ground. And instead of my knee bending, the middle of my leg between my ankle and my knee bent completely mm. in half. Tibia amphibia, compound fracture. Yeah, right. it was not pretty. Yeah. So I start screaming, screaming, screaming. They all think I'm joking because I said, watch this before. So they're all laughing. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, you it's like I broke my leg. And... Yeah, it's so, quite visible, you know, right? Like it's like um, I don't know if you know. Oh, like, it was like Paul was, George. His like his com- yeah, it's similar to that. Where yeah, like completely, completely. like another knee. Like it was yeah, it oh, was bad. Man. And um, so the pain was. If anyone's ever broken their leg, you know the pain is excruciating. Um, so they put me on you know morphine, and immediately like that feeling that I got was unlike anything I've ever felt in my life. Like it was almost like opiates were tailor made for me. Like I went to the tailors, got a suit, and they made a drug perfectly for me. That's what it felt like. You know what's fucked up about all this is like they give you at that age, right? Like, dude, in your teens, even early twenties, uh, your mind is a fucking mess. Like you are just—it's yeah. like insane. You're an insane person the whole time, mm-hmm. and you give a drug that quells the insanity, <laughs> right? Yeah, because exactly. I feel like you're supposed to go through insanity. You're supposed mm-hmm. you're supposed to get over. It. I I feel like that's what uh, humans have all you know fucking since Adam and Eve. If you believe in Adam and Eve, like that <laughs> shit, right? Your mind's on fire in your teens. It's just going, it's just going, going, going. You take this this thing that takes away from that insanity. I feel like the the effects of that into your adulthood means you didn't go through you know, the insanity of life as much. And then, Absolutely. And then you're just going to, and then, you know, how can you not like address it, right? Your, your mind's still on fire for years, you know, a decade plus because your mind, you're still in your youth. Your mind is still going crazy. You're still, your brain is still growing. And it's like, mm. you know, imagine adding neurons in your brain and like not going insane from it, right? You're, you're, it's, yeah. it's crazy shit that's going on in your brain. That's so you, a really good point, the neural development. It's like you're adding you're like adding dimensionality to your brain that you didn't have before, you know? Yeah, of course you're gonna go insane. Of course there's a bunch yeah. of shit going on. And you take this thing where it quells it, right? You don't have to think about it too much. It's still growing, it's still doing its thing, but you don't have to worry about um the insanity that that mm-hmm. ensues with brain growth. And so imagine now for someone who's been on a drug for ten, twenty years. And then coming out of that fog and Absolutely. having none of that development done. Right. 
Like I felt like a 13 year old kid when I got clean. I did. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like I was still, I still feel like I shouldn't be 35 years old. I feel like I should be 25 years old. Right. Because like, I feel like so much of my life was either a dream or just didn't even, ex- or like, wasn't me, you know? It's a suspended development of like how to quell the insanity, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you don't have the tools or you didn't, your, your youth wasn't made for developing the tools to deal with how fucked up reality is. Exactly. Right. And then, and, you, know, you know, right. Yeah. You, you take and these, so- these drugs and they just kind of suspend it, right? You're just stopping that. Exactly. But it doesn't matter. Once you, once you mm-hmm. get off of that, you're going to have to deal with it. Reality is going to yeah. come back at you. And I did. And, you know, early recovery, we'll talk about that more later. Early recovery is, it's difficult, but it's also very, you learn so much about yourself in early recovery. And anyone who's going through that initial port point right now of just getting clean, I know it's hard and I know it's challenging, but give yourself some time to get to know yourself. Mm-hmm. Like that is the most important thing. And I was so lucky that I was able to have that, that, you know, that I was given the opportunity to, to get to, to know myself. Yeah. But um, we'll talk more about that later. But yeah, so 13 years old. Damn. Opiates um, at 13, opiates, dude. And yeah, that's crazy. I was, as soon as I broke my leg, I was, I knew that, like I said, this was a tailor-made drug just for me. And, and that was Oxycontin. And that was when Oxycontin was really big and, you know, it was being pushed out like crazy. Um, it was basically, you know, if anyone knows the backstory of Oxycontin, you know, pushed out to be this less um, uh, addictive drug and, you know, more, and, and it basically was given to cancer patients before that. And now they're trying to remarket it for pain. And, you know, so I was given, even though it was a lower milligram of it, that's the drug that I was given. So, um, coming out of that, I was immediately like fascinated with pills and how I can get them. And, you know, I was contacting friends to, you know, pillage through their parents, you know, cabinets and I'd give them money. And I, and I was a kid that had money too. So I used to work during the summers, um, when I was 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, I used to get paid 10 bucks an hour under the table. So I didn't really spend that money. So I had, you know, a few grand in the bank as a kid and it was nice because I could do whatever I wanted. I can get whatever I wanted, you know, at that time. Um, and that's kind of a, a story for a, a lot of my life. I was a, a functioning addict for a long time. So my high school years were, um, really interesting. So I, I, I still, I have a lot of issues with my memory today and I, I should probably have prefaced with that because I think I did a lot of damage to my brain with a lot of the drugs that I have taken and there's a lot of gaps in my memory. Um, but I do remember a lot of things about high school. I do remember that, you know, I was, I became that loner again. Not to say that I wasn't always, but I, I very much kind of fell into that place again. And I, I started to run with a lot of like, you know, I guess you would say bad kids. Um, so we were from a certain neighborhood of Philadelphia and the, the, the way I can. So the best way to kind of describe it is like the old time gangs of like New York and Philadelphia, like where we were 
kids getting into trouble, like 40, 50 of us, you know, Holy like shit. running around, throwing rocks at cars, throwing beer cans at cars, getting in fights with the Russian kids in the neighborhood, you know. I mean, like Gangs my, of New York, teen, like, teen edition. Like teen, like teen edition, yeah. yeah. We were bad kids, and we would get into a lot of trouble, and the cops knew us, and, you know, and um, – there was, you know, not so much drug involvement. I mean, we would drink on the weekends and we would, you know, smoke a lot of were pot. You the, but were, were you the butcher? Like, what, I was the, was your... I was the guy that basically introduced our whole crew to opiates. Oh and I shit! Feel, so you I are feel the butcher. Bad about that. Yeah. yeah, I feel very bad about that. It wasn't that I introduced and it was like, "Hey guys, try this new drug." I'm like, "No, no." It was more like I would show up high and everyone know, wanted to know what i was doing and i would show them and tell them about it and then they started doing it right so it was like kind of like you know it wasn't like i was giving it to them it wasn't like i was right. giving it to people but i was one of the first people because everyone was messing around with 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 benzos drinking and alcohol that was the main thing right a lot of get a lot of the kids liked like xanax um when i was growing up and drinking and, and pot and then after I broke my leg and the head was like, you know, you know, the, this and that. And, you know, I had starting, you know, I was already messing around with cocaine and stuff. So I was doing a, like a lot of different drugs and I was mm-hmm. kind of the one that people would like talk to. But like, hey, like, can you hook me up with a contact to someone that I can get this kind of stuff? So I was very much like the drug, the drug guy, you know what I mean? At a young age, like I, 17, I 16, 17, around those years. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, and 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 I liked that because I felt accepted in a way. I felt like, hey, like I wasn't, I was in no way or shape a drug dealer. I was more of like a, um, just like the that cl- kind of like right. initial gateway to it. You know what I mean? You introduce the culture of of certain drugs, even though yeah, drugs are already kind of part yeah. of the language with your group. Is it was just a different kinds of drugs that you had access to or exactly knew about, right? And I think very importantly, I, I took on kind of a new persona. And I kind of, I f- like, I felt like an actor, like mm. trying to find a new role. Like looking back now, that's what I feel like. I, I was like trying on a new persona, trying on a new person. And I liked it because I felt mysterious. I felt, you know, this is, this is, I mean, I'm 17, 18 years old. What do I care about most in life right now? Drugs and, and sex, right? You Drugs created and a, the, yeah. You, those are the you, two be, things. you created yeah. an identity and then exactly. you, you wanted to further that identity. Yeah. And, you know, girls started paying attention to me, and that felt good. And it's a feedback loop, yeah. Yeah. And this, strong and feedback this, loop. Very like strong. And The strongest feedback time, loop ever, right? You know, and something that I didn't realize, too, is, like, I thought my tics and my Tourette's had just gone. It's just the fact that I just stopped caring about it because I was on the drugs for so long. And, you know, in, in some ways, like, yeah, the drugs, like, sometimes they did uh, slow down my Tourette's, right, because of whatever I was on. Um, but... I just didn't care about it. And I, and I became this person who was a total different person than I was two years ago. Like this shy, timid kid who never, you know, who like had kissed a girl one time. And now I'm like 17 years old, you know, losing my virginity. And, you know, it with a, with this crazy group of friends, we're doing all this crazy stuff. And I felt great. I did. I'm not going to lie. I felt awesome. And that is the trope. That is the, that, that is the, that is the hook, right? That is where where it gets a lot of people is when you first start using, when you first start taking drugs, of course it feels good. Why would people take drugs if it didn't feel good, right? But if you could fast forward two or three years and see where you're going to end up, 
then you would never have started, right? But that's the thing is that's that's the catch, right? So well, you also might say that it won't happen to me, right? Exactly, yeah. And I never thought I was going to get as bad as I yeah. did. Now, when I was seventeen, eighteen is when I really, really got bad. Um, this is when the Oxy eighties were out. The uh, eighty milligram pills. I'm sorry, yeah, eighty milligram pills uh, that sold for a lot of money. So people can make a lot of money off it. I was spending so much money. So three pills might not sound like a lot, Nick, but these pills were so strong that you could over, if you never took one, you could overdose off a quarter of a pill. Like that's how strong they were. Yeah. These were obscenely strong medications. I'm assuming oxys oxys do have this kind of tolerance buildup, right? You would, right. So, so people who, um, you know, might start with five, ten, will climb to, to certain, you know, yeah. heroic moments or hero- heroic amounts of, of oxy, uh, taking the eighties or whatever. Yeah, and and I was, you know, I was using them. Um, I wasn't using intravenously, but I was snorting, which would increase the high um, and would, you know, because you're bypassing the whole, you know, uh, you're, you're, you know, you're bypassing your whole. Uh, system you're just it's going right to your brain so um at this point i was really bad i started to get really bad and and i think um you know i started to do things that i never thought i would like steal like like from family members um like um you know go i mean like i i became the person that i never thought i would and i began became started to do really shady stuff um and it started to become unmanageable at this point. It you was like making, my you started, yeah. You started making quests. Yeah, right. yeah. I started making quests. Yeah. I started going that, that on. You quests. didn't have I, to do. I right. found my way down to Kensington, hanging with some really bad people, um, doing some really bad things, and it got to the point where I ran out of money, and I became desperate, and I I was doing like a five six pill a day habit, which is. You know, pills range from thirty to fifty dollars a piece for one pill. Holy so, shit! So yeah, do the math on that, and yeah. that's, that's how much a, money I was spending a day. It's a Nintendo a day. Switch a day. And then you realize that there's something way cheaper that is, you know, a quarter of the price and the same high, right? Maybe not the same. Maybe maybe a little less than than the pills, but um, back then, you know, the heroin was, was, was still strong. Philadelphia was known for very potent heroin. Um, that's why people would come here. That's why Kensington is full today of people from all over the world, um, all of the country, all of the 95 corridor, especially, um, because Philadelphia is known for very potent heroin. And, you know, it got to the point where I couldn't afford to do what I was doing anymore and I started to to use uh, heroin when I, when I when I couldn't afford um, oxys. So now I'm I'm going down to North Philly. I'm 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 in the thick of it, right, so to speak. I'm seeing things that I never thought I'd see see before, doing things that I never thought thought I'd do before. Um, but I'm still trying to hang on by a thread, right? And it wasn't until um, I mean, and there were some points where I think, you know, I had like minor overdoses. I, I had passed out in front of Phil here one day in, in the garage and, 
you know, and uh, you just said, "Yeah, I, I haven't eaten in a while" or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and I just I was out, just totally out. Yeah, and, meanwhile, my mom and I were were in denial too. Like, we yeah, had, we had and, no. And that's idea. the thing. Like, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Because I don't know yeah. what you guys were going through at that point. Well, honestly, Matt, it was hard because like we knew you were like uh, hanging out with people that were probably a little rough around the edges and stuff. But to be honest with you, Matt, mom and I had no idea your first time. We had no clue. Like we 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 I wouldn't even say we we're in denial. I think we were totally not even. We didn't. That wasn't even on the radar yeah. for us. You know, and that's the thing. I think that the the total lack of education for people, like people, didn't know what to look for because, like, the other thing was is I had been using so long at this point now, Nick, that that was my norm. They saw me all the time, high, but that was my norm. Yeah, and the thing about that drug in particular is when you look at people who use fent and trank nowadays, they're they look like they're zombies, right? Mm-hmm. But Oxycontin and a lot of the heroin back then, it gave you a rush. And that's what people were addicted to, that rush. So it wasn't so much of a tranquilizing type drug as it was as a euphoria type drug. Where you felt euphoric and you felt... So you can operate almost as normal. Completely. You can can fake it. You can certainly fake uh, being normal. Absolutely. And that that was the thing about the drugs at that time. Um, now there's trends in drugs and, you know, tra- right now the trend of the drug com- today is more of a tranky, uh, depressive type type drug. And that's because that's just where we've gotten to. But back then it was different, right? So it was hard for people, I think. And the reason I say all this is because I think it was, it was a hard for a lot of people to see what was going on. Um, it wasn't until I had lost all my money lost everything and started stealing from my family that I think my parents knew what was going on. And I went to my first rehab at the age of 18. So I was very young in my first rehab. How did that um, happen? So yeah, trying to remember the exact details, but it was very much a, um, I think Phil was in college at the time. Were you there for yeah. it, Phil? And I, I think I was, I can't remember, man. I'm sorry. So yeah, I, I, I had stolen from my mom um, her credit card. Yeah. And she had, you know, freaked out, right? And 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 she didn't know what the hell was going on, why I had stolen her credit card. And um, I basically broke down and said, you know, I have, like, I think I might have a problem. And, you know, they were like, what is it? What is it? They're thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm smoking pot or, you know, doing something much less, you know, uh, serious. And I told them about, you know, that as oxys and they, you know, freaked out and they had a, uh, (laughs) um, what's it called? Intervention. Intervention. Yeah. Intervention. And, uh, basically gave me the option to either leave or go into rehab. And at that age, you know, I was 18. Of course, my, choice was to go I don't to think rehab, there was right? an I think mom was completely like there was no option for you at that point right? no, there you, was had, no you, option. you had to go to yeah. you had to go to rehab yeah I pretty much had to go but yeah. like basically what I'm saying is I went for all the wrong reasons oh, of course I mean? of course I just don't yeah. think mom was at the point where she was doing tough love at that point right yeah no yeah no so I went for all the wrong reasons and I got clean and I was clean for almost a year what do you mean by the wrong reasons so like, I went to you... I went to rehab not because I wanted to stop using, because I, li- I I then I liked the person that I was when I was on drugs. I did. Mm, I, see. I didn't want to stop being who I was. But you recognize that you had a problem. 
I recognize that. I, yeah, because I would be sick when when I wouldn't use. I knew that right. because I would be in withdrawal. But you still, I, I see. So you you knew that there was an issue because you were stealing because and you broke down, but you didn't want to let go of the identity that you know the feedback loop the of drug. that identity. Yeah. I see the drug. I see. It's the almost, drug to yeah. me, it was it, like a relationship. It's almost it like was, I think yeah. you know. Correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but it's almost like Nick. He was like. I'm going to get in there and I'm, I'm going to fine tune this shit and I'll get back to like, you know, I'll only take a couple and, you know, that kind of thing, right? Well, the, actually, no, I stayed clean for almost a year, but. But you said all the wrong reasons. So what do you mean? But so, so what? Okay. So let me give you my mindset at this time. So I'm 18. I'm, I'm in rehab and I know that what I did was wrong and I felt. I think for the most part, I felt wrong about hurting my family and I didn't want to do that again. So I stayed clean for my family instead of staying clean oh, for myself. I see. So the only thing keeping me clean was the fact that I didn't want to hurt my family again. Right now at this point, even though I was still, I still was like in love with the drug. I still fantasized about it. I thought about if I, if I would, you know, the only thing that kept me clean for that year or so was World of Warcraft. That was it. That was the only reason I was clean is because I would go to a meeting, a meeting or whatever, or go to work or whatever I was doing at the time, come home and play World of Warcraft. And that was it. That, that kept me clean for like a year. Um, and Which is important the- because like, I, and I, I think this has to be kind of stressed for like um, um, people who, you know, dismiss digital relationships and and a digital community there's something to be said about um changing your environment right Mm -hmm. and and virtual environments can have that power as well right because you you weren't around you know the fucking kensington people anymore you weren't hanging around there anymore you were in this virtual world where you can occupy your mind and there's no access to to drunks right you're able to change reality for a bit yeah 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 yeah, I mean, and I mean, like, it really helped me a lot uh, because there was a guy that I talked to who was in the military, and he had a lot of issues with with opiates as well. And we would talk a lot about a lot of things, but the problem was is I wasn't dealing with the the real issues at heart, like the the tr- the, the traumatic things that I had gone through in my life, the the issues of my my Tourette's and my mental health. I wasn't going through. And looking at myself like that, I was just trying to bury it again. And I buried it through World of Warcraft, basically. It kept me clean, but I mean, like, I, I definitely could have been healthier clean, right? I, I could have, you know, addressed the issues that were underlying my addiction, which I didn't. I just jumped into another kind of addiction, um, even though, you know, it was changing my, it was, you know, for a little bit, it was good. It was a good addiction. It was a lot better than, you know, using heroin and Oxycontin. Um, but it, you know, it was still an addiction in a way. You know? I see. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because like when you were using drugs, it was like Tourette's didn't matter. Your, your, your real self didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. But you probably pulled off a personality that it didn't matter, which is kind of the personality that you want to achieve in life in general. Right. Right, a full right. acceptance of yourself, and so like on the outside, you're you're fine with yourself, which is mm-hmm. what you wanted. But you use drugs to mask it, 
to get yes. there. Yes. And Absolutely. you should have you should have achieved that kind of acceptance of yourself um, internally, naturally, without any Absolutely. assistance. Right? And that's and that's what recovery is. That's mm-hmm. to me, at least. You know what I mean? Recovery is finding finding that peace with yourself. Right? Yeah, and, that you can look into yeah. a fucking mirror and like that's me, right? Exactly. Instead exactly. of like looking and not in feel mirror, ashamed. I don't yeah. Right. You know, or not feel like I hate myself, right? And right. today I can do that. And I and I for a long time was not able to do that. For my most of my life I wasn't able to do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to to fast forward a little bit of the next few years, I'll I'll just so my addiction would get worse, right? Well you, you I, got you, you went back. I got on clean the back. for a year right. and then I met a girl. And this would happen a lot in my life where I would meet a girl. That girl was in some way, shape, or form, an addict as well. I would, at first, you know, I was like 20 years old. I was, I, I, I was like not drinking and stuff. And I'm like, man, this girl, she was all, she was a year older than me. So she was 21. I was 20. Um, and she would go out drinking and stuff. And, you know, I would want to go out too. And I would want to go out and have a good time. So it started with me, um, actually not drinking, but actually, yeah, actually, no, I did start drinking first. So I started drinking first because there was another girl before that. And the only way I could meet her and go out with her was if I was intoxicated or had some kind of liquor in me. And, you know, I, I was so afraid that she was not going to like the person I was that I felt like I had to I had to put something in my body for her to accept me. So that was the first girl. That didn't last very long. And I met another girl. This girl had a uh, benzo addiction. Okay. So benzos are Klonopin, Xanax, stuff like that. Um, and I knew that. I knew she did. Uh, I didn't know to the extent of her addiction, but I knew that she had an addiction. So one night we went out to a bar. I I didn't drink too much that. So drinking to me was never like a big issue for me, but it would I would use it as a crutch if I had to. You know what I mean? Um, but I never really liked drinking. Um, so I go to this bar we're out. She's having a good time. She found a bottle, a pill bottle full of Oxycontin and Xanax and all this stuff. And she passed out drunk, totally forgot about it. She found it in the bathroom. I drop her off to her house. The bottle's in my car and she forgot to get it. So that bottle sitting there at the bottom of my seat, and I'm like, you know, at this point I had already had started drinking a little bit, like, but like the drinking was never really, like I said, that much of a problem for me. Um, I, even though I would have to drink or do something to feel like I had to, you know, go out or do something, right? Which is a problem, but I, mm-hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't addicted to the alcohol, is what I, I'm trying to say. Then she leaves that bottle in my car. And I remember driving home and I'm like, I should just throw it out. I should just throw it out. I should just throw it out. And at this point, I'm actually living with my brother now. So I'm li- I moved out living with my brother. And I took that, that bottle of pills home with me. And the next morning, no, I'm sorry, that night, I'm like, I'm just going to take one pill to help me go to sleep. So I took one pill that, that night. I woke up the next morning. That day, the, the pill bottle must have had 90-something pills in there. That day, I must have went through at least a quarter of that bottle, like already, like I had already relapsed that night, you know? Right. So where's your mind at, at this point is just kind of 
it, my mind it, is you just basically, don't care or how do, how does it how do you go from it, one pill it's to denial like a it's denial mm-hmm. right so it's it starts with the fact that i can only take this one pill or i can just take this bottle and i'll, I'll use this bottle and then when the bottle's done i'm not going to use again right it's right. all denial it's all talking myself into it and then saying that and it's oh, not really I, you it's you're the werewolf at this point exactly so the werewolf not, is starting to yeah. come out yeah right yeah and then when that bottle was empty which you know it didn't take me very long to finish that bottle i was calling my ex and saying or the, the girl that i was with and saying like you know where can i get this where can i get that and she's like what do you mean i thought you were done with that stuff and i'm like well you know i just want to have a good time or i want to you know make our sex life better or whatever stuff like that because it did make my sex life better to be completely honest um or at least i thought it did right was there was there a blue chew in, in it or <laughs> no no it's just that for whatever reason it's random like um uh what do you mean blue like, like viagra like like blue pills or whatever that would be oh no it's like, for whatever reason like i felt like i just had better sex when i was on right, percocets or on virility and uh, whatnot yeah. whatever yeah exactly so i was like oh we'll just do it and we'll just have a good night or something like that and she's like, okay, you know what I mean? That's, that was the excuse that I used that one, th- that first time. Um, and I was like, we'll have a good night, whatever. We'll just blah, 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 blah. And then it turned into, you know, her introducing me to a dealer, me getting that dealer's number. And now I have another, you know, now I, ha- now I have this person I can contact. Then I, I remember specifically getting a hold of a person that I went to high school with, calling him. And now I have two people that I can get drugs off of. And it turned you into your, yeah. You changed your environment. Yeah, your changed environment. my environment again, yeah. and I became that person again. That person that I, you know, I, 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 for a year or so, I was that closed off kid again. I was that closed off kid sitting in my ba- my brother's basement playing World of Warcraft, and then a couple months later, with those pills again, I was back to Matt on the Matt from the streets. You know what I mean, Street Matt. That's what that's who I was. The, uh, the and, pill in that car was like the the full moon, right? Yeah, and you, exactly. You just had to look at it and then yep. Yep, spiraled. Yep. So to make a long story short, because we're you know, I I wanna just say that that type of thing happened to me so many times where I would get clean for a little bit, I would go to rehab, and then something I would meet a girl. I always start off with a girl. I always start off with a girl. And I'm not saying that the girls were the problem the problem was me it's just that i was picking women that were had issues and had problems with drugs mm-hmm. and i was you know a lot of times i was meeting them at meetings at 12 step meetings and stuff like that right so this went on for a long time but it was one woman in particular that i met who introduced me to well at this point, I'm I'm am st- mostly still using pills and whatnot, um, but it was one woman in particular that really uh, I went down with really hard, and that's when I started to use heroin uh, intravenously on a regular basis and smoke crack. Um, so that happened, I want to say almost a little over ten years ago now. Eleven years ago is when it started. Um. But in the but but right before that, so the the time that I got cl- clean before that, so there was about three or four times that I got clean, went to rehab, would meet a girl, start the whole process again. <clears throat> so 
I had gotten really bad at this time in my life, in my, in my mid twenties, about, you know, 23, 24. And I was living still with my brother and I was, this is when I talk about being like the dumpster where I did anything and everything I can get my hands on, whether it was PCP, whether it was crack, whether it was heroin, whether it was pills, whether it was, I did a lot of Adderall, I did a lot of uppers, a lot of downers, anything I can get my hands on. And I started smoking this thing called uh, Spice or K2. Back then it was like unheard of. It was like brand new. Um, and what it was is it was synthetic marijuana. If you know anything about synthetic marijuana, it's probably one of the most dangerous drugs out there uh, because – This is like marijuana where you inhale it, I'm assuming, right? Like Yes. Like- <clears throat> yes. The reason why it's so dangerous is because people who smoke pot think that it's just like pot. When it's actually more like a PCP and it will, it can literally drive you insane. You know, like the guy like with the, who like ate that guy's face off and there's a story about, I think that was bath salts, but it's similar in the way how it tricks your mind and you go into these psychosis, right? So I had started smoking that. Um, and not only had I started smoking it, I was smoking it regularly and in my head, I'm like, this is nothing bad. It's like weed. It's just like, if that, I got it from a, a gas station. How could it be so bad, right? So in my head, I'm like thinking to myself, like, this isn't really that bad. But it drove me insane. I mean, to the point where I had I had completely lost base of who I was and the choices and the things that I did, I would never do. I even at one point told Phil to try it. And, you know, I was trying to get like, I was so out of my mind that I thought what I was doing was okay. Right. And I thought that, and the, the, the really bad thing about this is I mixed this with benzos. So I had no feeling of what was right and wrong anymore. Mm-hmm. So one night, your, your, your morality was like, um, about family, right? Like you were able to get clean yes, because of family. Exactly. So your morality exactly. was was intact until you went with this, you know, synthetic, what is it, whatever it's called. Um, synthetic marijuana, yeah. Marijuana. Yeah. And then I'm assuming every puff you take, you slowly lose a little bit of even that core. Of myself, yes. Yeah, of, that core yeah. who you are. I mean, morality you can lose yourself like that with heroin too in a different way. It's a different way, right? With this synthetic drug, it's like you, you lose touch of reality. Mm-hmm. And I, I completely lost touch with reality. So how how is how is it like you can't you can't even discern how you're losing it, right? Because it's it's so you can't no. It's and, it's almost like a kid, you know, growing a couple of in, you know couple of millimeters a day. Like mm-hmm. you don't notice that about yourself until you're like, oh shit! You measure the delta at a later time. You're like, holy shit! I would I totally changed. I'm a totally different person. And the interesting thing is, too, is like I still to this day don't know what was real and what wasn't because of how much I had lost base of reality and how real the hallucinations were. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my hallucinations would only get worse as time went on. But this all culminated to one night, one night where I had taken probably I think I, I don't know if I. I say that I don't know if I tried to end my life, but I must have, right? Because I was at a really low point. 
and I had taken over 60 pills in one night. 60 of like various 60 things. benzos, dude. 60 benzos. Holy shit. In one night. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean I don't remember uh, much yeah. of this night. I don't remember much of I don't remember much of that year to be honest. Um there are things that I did, people things say, say that I did and you know and I remember I I got in a fight with a kid. He hit me in the head with a baseball bat. My skull was cracked. Um, like I remember that. I remember a couple other things. Like I called Phil and I told him like so, yeah, somebody tried to rob me, but it was a whole, it was a whole scenario with like yeah, it was it was so. I mean, like I'm I'm fast forwarding through a lot of stuff, right? A lot of like traumatic stuff that happened, but I'm going to this moment because this is probably the most one of the most pivotal moments in my life is, um what happened this night and to make a long story short about this issue here um because i don't want to get into too many details about it because it involves family and things right it's basically i had tried to end my life took all these pills got into um an altercation with at, at my brother's house cops were called ambulances were called i woke up in a psych ward okay This now is where things get difficult because for the next month or so, I was in a drug-induced psychosis, and I like don't remember with, without using drugs. You were just in. The I was. I had of... used so many, so much drugs over the last, and I might have been in a drug-induced psychosis before that mm-hmm. as well. I just don't remember it, but I distinctly remember this psychosis. This this part of the psychosis, at least. You were you so, were logged you were logged in. I was like, logged in, but your, I was I was logged into a completely memories. different server. <laughs> he was on a, he was under a different username and password. I was under that. a different username and password. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was still so, it was still storing memories, right? Yes, yeah. yes. So this the, uh, the this, server. but my my psychosis would get so bad to mm. the point where. I would literally try to end my life because I thought that I was stuck in a coma and the only way I can get out of the coma was to die in my dream Holy that I was shit. having. That's like a movie. That's like a Yeah. Yeah, so I yeah. I I like on the first night I had barricaded myself in the room and the all the orderlies in there they're trying to get in and I barricaded myself in and I I was pretty strong in that time in my life. I remember I had wrestled like four or five orderlies to the ground and they couldn't get me down. And then I barricaded myself in the room. And these, these, if you've ever been in the psych ward, these beds, they had these beds that are like wooden, it must have been 150 pounds. I barricaded it uh, on, on the, this is the first night I'm in there, right? First night. Barricaded against the wall, had this giant chair, and I'm trying to bash these windows and these windows are the like the glass is probably three inches thick and in between the glass they have this metal crosshairs have you ever seen that kind of glass i put a crack in that don't know how (laughs) well you you think you're gonna die so you're it's almost like the uh, only way i can i i can wake up is to is to jump out of this window and kill myself to to, to literally wake up from this nightmare right so they finally get in the room and they inject me with thorazine and if you don't know what Thorazine is, it's basically a, um, uh, it's basically a, it's, it's a complete extreme muscle relaxer, extreme right? muscle relaxer. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> it, what they use it a lot in psych ward. So I was being pumped full of Thorazine like crazy. 
And what happened to me next is I was basically put down in a bed where your arms are like a cross and your legs are like a, a, out of the cross strapped down. And I was strapped down that bed for days. For days. Damn. And the things that happened in my mind in those days, to this day, I still don't know. Like, I had this whole thing happen where the people in there were, were about to cut me up. And, like, this is, this is, I say these things, but, like, imagine that you think it's real. Like, you literally think that I'm about to be dismembered, right? So, I'm begging this I mean, lady to let me go. Yeah. And I hear saw and everything. Like I hear it, I see it, um, and then I hear from what I sound is my brother Phil coming with my stepdad and my mom to try and break me out of there. And then I hear gunshots, boom, 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 and I just think that my whole family was killed. Right. So I really thought that my entire family was just murdered. Holy that they're shit. about to dismember me. And then right. finally that night, I don't know what happened. If it was that night or what, but they let me go and I saw the doors of my rooms and they, they were like this weird skin color. And in my head, I thought, oh my God, this is the skin of my brother, of my mom and my, this is their skins that they put up on my walls. And I saw, like I saw their skins there, like hanging from the ceiling, from the wall. <laughs> and I'm sitting there weeping, like, like I've never cried in my life before because I'm like, my fucking family's dead. And I'm in this, like, I'm in this place that they hold me, like, so. I can't even, like, like, there's no cultural reference to that. So it's, like, hard to say, like, okay, you got that from that movie. You got this from, like, that. That just, like, while your brain was insane. My brain was insane. And, and like, I can't stress the fact enough that this was so real. Mm -hmm. This is as real as I am talking to you right now. Every day was a different form of psych. It was a different like psychosis story, almost like a different episode, basically. It's like the um, like Dante's Inferno, like the different layers yes. of hell, different layers going, of hell, like, different different layers of yes. psychosis. Yes. Yeah, like- so the next day, so the the day when I thought I was in the coma as well that that day, I remember listening to the walls and I could hear music being played and I could hear my brother. And that, and we used to play in a band, and I can hear the music, and I'm like, "Oh, Jerry and Phil are here. They're playing." This was before the whole where they got shot and everything. But I could also hear my mother's voice, and that's why I thought that I was in a coma, that she was trying to speak to me, because I could hear her saying things, and I thought, mm-hmm. "Oh my, I must be in a coma," and my real body is hearing her voice, and I'm hearing it through the wall, and that's where I, that's how I got into the whole psychosis of I, I was in a, I was in a coma, and I had to break right. out. Then I thought I was actually in hell the next day. So the, this mm-hmm. was the this is like the really dark part. So like I thought I was in hell and I thought the people, everyone there was like there to like basically were demons to like like um torture me. Right. So I remember to this day I was staring out the window and there was like the I saw these people standing in a circle. And they were standing in a circle and I'm like, I have to kill those people. And if I don't kill them, I'm going to lose my soul forever and be stuck in hell. So these person, this one kid walks through the window and I, I attacked him. Like I completely attacked him. Started like, uh, I grabbed him and I got a, a table and I started like hitting the table. And, you know, and I, I, I literally thought this person was there to torture me and like to, to take my soul. So, I mean, I was completely lost and out of it. And 
again, you know, they take me down, they pump me full of Thorazine. I'm back in the bed, strapped down again for another day or whatever. And that whole time, it's just, it was like I was having a conversation with the devil, basically. Like he was taunting me and telling me that um, my family was was going to, you know, that they're all dead and that my soul is going to be trapped forever. And I had this conversation basically with the devil. And the, the whole time I was trying to, um, basically trying to, 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 um, escape it, right? Like trying to get make, out, make a deal yeah. with him kind of oh. like, I was like, I'll give you my soul. If you let my, my family's soul souls mm. go and all this, but it was so real. And like the person in the room, there was a person in the room with me the whole time. Um, that I thought was there. That wasn't really there. You know what I mean? It was the devil, basically. What? What did? What's that like? What is the devil like? What is? You saw it was a, fucking, a shadow. It was a shadow. You saw the a, devil, dude. A, yeah, it was a shadowy figure. So it was like, it was like this shadowy figure standing at the at the edge of my bed, just staring at me with red eyes, just all shadow, and just sitting there talking to me. And the craziest thing is the Holy shadow. Shit. There was a above me. There was a um a vent and the shadow would come down out of the vent and like come down out of the vent and then just <laughs> form into a person and stand there and talk to me. Like there's no, like the, the devil has no form. He is like this, um, like a cloud, like a, yeah. Yeah. Basically like, 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 a cloud, like coming out yeah. of the vape pen right now. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like a cloud. Of, yeah. Of but black. You know, the craziest things is like the, the, the things that the mind connects. So like all these people that I would see there, it's the weirdest thing. I thought that I was, I somehow was, was in the future and I was in some kind of battle or war and that all these people in my life were the people in the psych ward. So I would see someone and I'd be like, you're my dad, aren't you? And I was somehow in this alternate reality where we were like plugged into a machine and everyone was trying to get to me through this machine, through this reality. And so I would see this guy and I'm like, oh my God, that's my friend, Eddie. That's him. And it's 40 years later and he's trying to reach me. And he's, he's, it, so it's, it's like, you had, um, you had different scenarios. You had, you had a sci-fi. Like I said, you had every a sci-fi. day it was something different. It was something different, but it was so Holy real. Shit. Didn't you see a sister or something like that, Matt? Oh, I had a twin sister while I was there. Yeah. And she was half black. I can't explain that. Or she was, <laughs> she was black. So I, so if you, I had this if scenario you, guys, my, you guys don't know, but Matt's Caucasian. Just yeah. Yeah. So I had this scenario in my head where somehow my mom cheated on my dad and had a twin, and I had a twin sister, and somehow she was half black and I was white. <laughs> so it didn't make any sense, but it was right. how yeah, it just didn't make story, any sense. Yeah. And I remember trying to sneak into her room to get evidence. Uh, of the fact that she was my twin sister and she's like what the fuck are you doing in my room and I'm just like I have to get the, the file I have to get the file and she's like get the fuck oh but she was room. a real person or no it was oh, an yeah, actual was, black lady I, I, in the I think, another room I think she was a real person to this day I don't know she probably was yeah damn so you had um, uh, like unfettered access to other people in this sometimes yeah if I wasn't locked in the room or the room I was locked in yeah I see so well, I would well, like yeah. some days I would try to fake it. So let me also explain that this, this hospital is now closed down because they found <laughs> that I, I talked to a doctor who knows that the hospital was closed down and that they, cause they were like fucking with their people there. So there's this one instance where I was there and I go up to the, 
to the person behind this glass wall. And I'm like, I heard all you have to get out of this place was just to ask. And she's like, yeah, sure, go. Just, just, I'm going to click the door open for you. So she clicked the door and I would try to open the door wouldn't open. And she's like, oh, try again, click. And I think this was real. And I think she was fucking with me. I, 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 and she called the orderlies on me and then got me and I, I had tried to fight. I was like, I'm trying to get out. I'm trying to get out. But it was this whole scenario of her acting like she was opening the door for me where, and I was trying to get out. I was trying to get out. And eventually I tried to break the door down and here come the, the orderlies and they came and tackled me. And yeah, I mean, I, it, it, is the, yeah. so you're, I'm assuming you're the, the psychosis is kind of, it's like a gradient, right? Like every day it gets a little bit, I wouldn't say, it's so, in a different no, dimension, I mean, so or is it like a... Here's the, the crazy thing. Even when I was out of the psycho ward, I was still, I was still in psychosis. Holy shit. How, how was it determined that you were... I you started were okay? faking it. Oh, so you, but you knew at one point that you're not in fucking hell anymore. You're in the psych ward. Okay, so what I thought at the end was that there was they were doing some kind of study on me. Mm. And that... The only way I can get out is if I acted like I didn't know. And this whole time I refused to take medications because I thought they were trying to poison me. Like I saw like the, this this doctor would try to shake my hand. And on his hand I saw like a stamp, like this green stamp. And I thought as soon as he shook my hand it was going to go into my bloodstream and he was going to sedate me. So I would refuse to shake anyone's hand. I would refuse to take any medications because I thought Damn. they were trying to poison me. Right, or they're trying to you know sedate me, do all these all these things, right? Yeah. So just just from our perspective, meanwhile, we never thought he would come out of this because the people at the place told never told my dad that this is kind of normal for benzo. Um, if you're on a lot of benzos, this is a it, like these psychoses are normal. We had no fucking idea. We thought Matt's brain was broken forever. We had no idea. Like they didn't. They well, did a really they, poor job of communicating. They also us. didn't know much about the drug that I was taking. The, the K two. They True. they didn't know about it. So the doctors didn't even know about it. They didn't know about it, right? Um. Yeah, I keep on going back to the one psychosis that I had when I was in this. Um, so okay, uh, I'll, I'll go. I'll go back to the one at the end though. So the one at the end, it was like. I remember this kid came in, this young Asian kid. I think it was Filipino. And he was having a lot of trouble. And I was helping him. I was basically like, I was like doing his laundry for him. And I was helping him. And I was like, oh, by helping this kid, they're going to know that I'm okay. And they're going to let me go. And I actually became really good friends with this kid. I, I mean, he I felt so bad for him. He had tried to kill himself because his grandma, something with his grandma. I don't even know if he was real or what, but to this day. But I, I, he must have been because I was trying to help him. And... I started to basically fake to the point where I was like, okay, yeah, I'm good. I'm bad. I'm better. I, I, you know, I know that I had issues and all this, but in my head, I'm like, I just have to fucking tell them this shit because they're going to keep me here if I don't. Right. So in my head, the psychosis was completely still going. I thought I was in Alaska. <laughs> I thought I was in Alaska in a, um, <laughs> like a, uh, like a safe zone, like of from like a, a post-apocalyptic, um, uh, scenario yeah, yeah. attack and I thought I was living in Alaska and they were doing this study on me like dystopian a, a lot so, of your stuff is like dystopian yeah. stuff right like yes, there's like yes it's like um there's a whole system yeah manufacturing your reality yep. right yep. yep but the one that that I was in this war and that basically what was so basically what happened was 
I was in a war that I fought in, some kind of like third world war, and all that was left was like part of my brain, and they somehow got my consciousness back. Holy shit! My consciousness shit. was in this machine. Yeah, and these yeah. people from my life were coming through the machine through these other people. So I'm like, oh my god, you're my friend Eddie, or you're my mom. I, I remember this. I walked up to my lady. I'm like, I know who you are. She's like, what are you talking about? She's, I'm like, you're my mom. She's like, what do you what do you say? I'm like, you're my mom. I know you are. You, you're coming through trying to interact with me. You're my mom. Mm-hmm. And like, I thought I was, I was like, just kill me. I was like, just kill me. Tell them to fucking kill me because I don't want to be. I thought I was in this, um, controlled you like um. Like simulation um, of a brain simulation. that was yeah, like that was exactly like in like a, a brain matter that was put into like mushed into pieces and then they're piecing it together and then you're experiencing a simulation of exactly of like what they created they created a simulation for me yeah yeah like, holy shit dude yeah so it that was one that lasted like uh, i think like a week or so um uh and and all this time, like, you know, I either thought that my parents or my family was dead or that I was, I was dead or that I was in hell. And like, so every, every day the the range of emotions that I would go through were so dramatic, like so dramatic. You don't, you don't remember us visiting you at all, do you? I remember one visit, but I, 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 I thought that it was, so it was, I think it was early in the, in the, in the time I was there, right? I think so. Cause I thought that you guys were. Um, like taking me out of there. I, I don't remember. I don't remember seeing. I remember seeing. I don't remember if it was real or not from when I saw you guys, though. You remember the book I gave you? Yeah. The Hobbit. Yeah. 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 I remember you gave me that. Yeah. Oh, and then my whole I I started reading The Hobbit, and then like oh, no, my dude. life was like <laughs> oh, was starting to like uh, Tolkien. Like I was in yeah Tolkienian. Yeah. Yeah. Holy At one shit. point, yeah, it was crazy. Maybe, was crazy. maybe the the black shadow is Sauron, right? Like the black shadow, maybe it was the yeah. red eyes. Hey, yeah, maybe that. Like, yeah, I mean, that's with the devil. That's probably where Tolkien got it from. You know, just had a, too much synthetic marijuana, Tolkien. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> but the reason I, I'm talking so much about this is because the, to this day, I still don't know what was real and what wasn't. But yeah. I find it so fascinating that my brain latched onto these these things and and that i thought was reality that i thought was real and it's just amazing how the brain works like it's just it's just so fascinating that yeah i even experience these things you know you, you know it's also kind of you know this is speaking to to like your family like you know architecture but like you your family was in your psychosis and they weren't this menacing thing there were these things that you wanted to latch on to and that you loved them right because like it's not like you you thought of a family member and like all shit went loose like it wasn't that kind of family it's a family where like they're concerned they want to get you out and yeah you're attaching um you know your your connection to reality was the people that you knew your family you know it's funny because i think that psychosis coming out of that made me realize just how important my family was to me. Right. The recurring members of your psychosis was like the saving grace. Yeah. I mean, and it made me realize like after what I thought that I lost them, the fact that they were still alive was, I mean, it made me realize just how precious that was. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, you would, that was, not the thing that got me clean, unfortunately. Um, 
it was the second to last time that I, so I only had one more stint after that, but that stint was the worst after that. So, oh, so you got out of the, you got, I got out. out of the psych ward and I went you were still immediately faking to it. rehab. Mm-hmm. So in that rehab, what's so weird is I was in that psych ward for almost a month, right? In that rehab is when I started to feel, finally started to feel withdrawal from all the drugs I was on. Like, it's like a whole month went on where I felt nothing but this like euphoric psychosis. And then boom, I'm in the psych, I'm in the rehab. And I remember sitting on my shower floor crying because I couldn't even lift my body up. That's how much pain I was in from the withdrawal. Like it was that bad. So it is like the, when you were in the psych ward, was that the benzo withdrawal or is that the synthetic marijuana it withdrawal? It was both. Okay. And then you had yeah. like, I'm assuming. Then I had the, a, then I had an benzo. opiate withdrawal. I think, I don't know. I don't mm. know what kind of withdrawal it was, but I was, I was taking so many, I was taking street suboxone. I was taking, uh, um, um, uh, opiates, all different kinds of opiates. I was taking, um, uh, uh, benzos. I was taking, uh, PCP. I was taking synthetic marijuana. I was on so many different kinds of drugs at that point. I don't remember all of them because like I said, I was taking so many benzos at that time that I have so many lasts in my memory, but it's so strange that it's almost like my withdrawal was, was like, like stinted. It was like delayed. Yeah. It could have been cause they were, maybe they were the drugs they were injecting me with at the at the psych ward maybe i don't know or it could be that your mind was just in this fucked up place man that was like i don't know yeah you couldn't feel the i don't know it's a hard one i mean i think i was in withdrawal a little bit in the hospital in the psych ward but it all hit me so hard i remember every step being like "I, i can't do it i can't do it like just step to walk that's what, oh, and, I, and I have been through some horrible withdrawals. I have withdrew off of drugs, cold turkey, so many times. There was a time where I didn't, not to be disgusting, but I didn't, I didn't relieve myself. I didn't poop for over a month. Damn. Um, I remember there was a time where I sat on my, I couldn't lift my body off of a couch for a week straight. I sat on a couch. I pissed and I shat where I sat for a week. While you're going through the, these while withdrawals. While I was going through withdrawals. That was benzo withdrawal. Damn. And, and opiate withdrawal together. Mm-hmm. And not one moment of sleep th- for a week. At least a week. Not one, even even a second of sleep. Because I would get these jolts. These these mini seizures that you get from benzo withdrawal. Um, if anyone's ever been through that, it's they know what I'm talking about. It's, it's horrible. It's horrible. And this is the side... That you don't see, right? When you start using, this is the side that you don't see. All these negative things that happen—the the withdrawal, the the losing your family, the losing your mind—and and you know, eventually, I got to the point where I got out of that place. I was clean for a little bit. I met this other girl, and I went the lowest I ever went, and to the point where I was like, you know, living out of my car for a little bit. I got kicked out of my mom's house. I went back there for a little bit. Got kicked out. Got in a big fight with my stepdad. Um, got arrested. Um, met this girl and was shooting heroin and smoking crack on a daily basis. And she was basically prostituting herself to get drugs. And yeah, it was, it was bad. Like at this point in my life, I didn't care whether I lived or died. I didn't care if I 
you know, the only thing, and I tell my mom this all the time, the only thing that kept me alive was the fact that I didn't want my mom or my brother to walk in on my dead body. Like that was, that was it. That was the only thing that kept me alive. I think like, I mean, there were times where I thought that I was going to, you know, shoot up and die, but it was that one thing that I would regret. I knew that like, I couldn't, I couldn't let them find me dead because I knew it would like ruin them, you know? So, but it got really bad. It got really bad at the time. I mean, I, I was smoking a lot of crack and crack is, is a horrible drug and it's the things it does to you is, is, is horrible. Um, what, what is really shady characters again so, so like crack i have no idea like i've i'm, I'm completely out of my element when it comes mm-hmm. to like uh, anything beyond like marijuana effectively um when you're doing crack what like what pulls you back into doing it like is it a, it's a euphoria it's a, is it yeah a, it's a euphoria yeah so I know it's, it's a chemically like, addicti- addictive but it's, it's like cocaine mm-hmm. it's a lot like you know it's it is cocaine it's cocaine and baking soda just smoked um and it's this euphoric rush that you get that makes you feel like you can do anything. You know, it, it's, 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 it's a lot different than opiates, but it's, um, it's an upper, right? So it's, it's, it's very, it's a, it's, a, it's hard to describe. Um, it's, it's like, yeah, me, I mean, it seems like a momentary kind of high and it doesn't last too long is what I hear. It doesn't last like, very long. No, but the thing that I would do is I would. I would mix it with the heroin, right? So I would not mix it like physically, but I would, I would get high from the heroin and then I would get high from the, from the crack. And it was that together made it like a more euphoric high. Mm-hmm. I see. Um, and I, you know, I remember meeting these people. I, I remember I met this one guy who um, robbed, uh, robbed the drug dealers were with, they, they shot at us, you know, shot, I, I was shot Jesus. at, had a knife pulled in my throat. Had a gun pulled in my head a couple times, um, uh, all down in Kensington. And uh, did, yeah, did like, you did you see the Kensington um, documentary from like uh, Channel Five? Andrew? Oh yeah, oh yeah, it, oh yeah. It, how how is like that's the feel like that's the kind of dreariness that yes. you experienced. Yes, in life. now it's it's changed a little bit now because so I so we'll talk a little bit about this about how the drugs have evolved. So now it's all fentanyl and trank and it's it's horrible right now because what it's doing to people is it's it's killing them slowly by basically deteriorating their bodies you saw it right you saw the documentary um and so back when i was using it was heroin it was like 90 percent heroin and the rest with so now it's fentanyl and trank so it's a totally different kind of high. So what happens is you have a quicker, dirtier high. So you're high for like two hours, maybe. This is what I've heard from you know client the people that I work with and whatnot. And then you you come down off it really hard. So it makes you want it even more. Whereas heroin was like a you know four or five hour high or so, and then you would come down slowly. You know, so it was is it's it's a much dirtier. Uh, quicker kind of kind of euphoria that you get from this from this stuff that's out now and what it does is it causes people to become even more addicted and the addiction is is so much harder to get through and that's why people now are 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 really really struggling on getting clean and it's it's taking you know i work with people who to do medicaid assisted treatment and, and like the medication they need is, is so much more than what they needed before 
and the medical world is is just so far behind, which is sad to see. But um, yeah, I mean that's the lifestyle of Kensington. It's it's just people walking around with rotting flesh basically and right. uh, barely barely able to walk. Yeah, I, I think there's a huge component when it comes to um, you know when you were using. I would say it was I want to say cleaner, but it was like there was less physical, less physically detrimental, like phys- like visually, right? Yeah, I mean, I still got a, um, I still got, I almost lost my leg. I, oh, I so I, um, I basically um, was working with these, I don't know if they were cartel or what guys, and they they wanted us to try this stuff before um, they. Um, put it out there and i think it was really really stepped on it was had a lot of really bad stuff in it like like dirty stuff like it was a cheap drug and we tried to and they gave us a lot of it and i ended up um my leg grew about twice the size when i say twice the size i mean really my leg was about this big damn <laughs> my not my thigh my 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 leg calf, my, right. you know yeah my calf and uh, it hurt like a giant boil is what it felt like. Like I couldn't even touch it. And I let that go for about a month and I almost went septic because of it. Um, so like there was still like a lot of bad stuff out there, you know, and, and that's basically what's happening to people right. now because of this trank is the trank is it's literally, dirty, right? It's, it's very dirty and it's, it's, it's destroying the cells in your legs and, uh, and not in their legs and their skin. Um, so the derma, the derma is being destroyed. Underneath but, the skin, yeah. But having that physical kind of feedback loop of like looking at your leg, and you know, you want you don't want to accept that reality, almost, right? Yeah, I would just get high. I would just get so high you'll again. just yeah, it'll just be this recurring thing where I I don't want to accept this even more yeah. so than like if you appeared at least visually normal. Yeah, you might. You know, it's easier to get out of something when you don't have to accept the human like your body, right? Um, but. Once your body is into play, you look at your body, I don't want to accept it. Exactly. Then it's another yeah. layer of negative feedback loop that you're yeah. that you're you're putting into the, the cycle. Yeah, I mean I I I let it go for you know, I was in the hospital for almost two weeks, uh, and being fed um antibiotics because it was it was that bad. And then um it was probably about a couple of weeks after that where I had my like moment of clarity. I, you know, it was one day I was, so let me preface this by saying before I got clean, my mom and my brother went to, started going to meetings and started to get educated about, about addiction and substance use disorder. Excuse me. So my mom and my brother in, in a lot of way, in, in ways were, um, kind of, well, my mom was more so, but enabling she, she codependent. Was, yeah, yeah, she was very uh, enabling me, very codependent. Um, so she would, you know, sometimes give me money or, or pay me out of, you know, get me out of a, a situation that I was in, and then she stopped doing that. Right. So I, I basically was, you know, the consequences that I had to deal with were on my own now. Like I had, I had to deal with these consequences on my own, which made me realize that I can't do this anymore. Like I can't continue this lifestyle. But I also started to – my mom would always tell me no matter what, like I'm here for you when you want help, right? And my brother. And it got to the point where I was, like I said, you know, wanting to end my life basically, uh, living day by day, just just 
scrounging up whatever money we could, selling everything I had. I had all this music equipment. I had everything that I owned was just gone. Um, and it got to the point where I had nothing and was, you know, basically uh, about to be homeless. And there was this day where I saw my ex. She, she, My ex, a lot of times, she would leave in the middle of the night to do whatever she had to do to go get drugs. And like, I would try to stop her and, you know, she wouldn't, she would just escape. Like she like jumped off the balcony before like crazy shit. Like, you know, um, and this one time she was going to probably, you know, sleep with this guy to get money to go get high. And I saw her leaving to go in that guy's car. And I was just like, I can't, I can't fucking live like this anymore. Like, I just can't like something in my head just snapped. Like, it was just like, I'm done. I'm completely just done with this lifestyle i am either going to die or i'm going to get clean like that was it like that and what happened was i told my mom i said listen i'm ready to get clean i'm like i'm this time i mean it like i really mean it and we call our insurance company and none of the rehabs around us had any beds available right like so I was like, well, what do I do? Do I do I get high again? Like, what what am I gonna do? Like, so turns out they had a bed available in this town called Galax, Virginia, and it's like <laughs> way down in southern Virginia, like on the border of of of, uh, of North Carolina. And my mom's like, we can get you a bus down there. And I'm like, are you fucking serious? A bus down to Galax, Virginia? Nick, Jersey like, Deliverance. I didn't see Deliverance, no. It's very deliverance down there. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Galax. So, Galax, yeah. Like like Galaxy without the Y. Like I see. pronounce Galax, yeah. Holy shit. So, that sounds like, intense, yeah. man. Yeah, so they're like, um, <laughs> they're like, you basically have to go down to this place and get clean down there. And I'm like, a 16-hour bus ride, sick. I'm like... Part of me just wanted to get off in the middle of the bus and just just go, but I, I stayed on the bus ride. At one point, the cops came on looking for some guy. I thought they were looking for me. They had me. They did this check. I had to go with the cops and give them my ID at one point, and it was crazy. But I went down there, and um, and that's where the the rest of my life began. I I, I got on uh, medicated assisted treatment. So a lot of people, if they don't know what that is, it's like methadone, suboxone, subutex, all those different things. I had been on Medicaid assisted treatment before, but I never was on it like properly. Like the doctor I was on was probably not the best doctor to be doing it and uh, didn't really know how to do it. I think he tried to really get me off of it really quickly, whereas it should be more of like a long-term type thing and to get off of it slowly. Um, I ended up meeting a girl down there who I lived with for about three years um, unfortunately that didn't last due to, you know, things just didn't go amicably, you know, th- things that happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I stayed clean for the first about three years of my life, white knuckling it again by basically just not using, but, but being on the Medicaid assisted treatment. Now, when I came back to Philly, I got into a really good, really good, um, drug and alcohol program there back in the Philadelphia area. Um, a counseling center that I now work for. So I'm not going to give the name of it, but so, um, that place is where my recovery began. I found my recovery through counseling 
and um, you know people can find their recovery through 12 steps through counseling that there's many different pathways of recovery we've all gotten our addiction is all different so our recovery is going to be different right no no one's recovery is going to be the same everyone's recovery is going to be different um, and my recovery involved you know medication treatment working with a therapist and you know sometimes going to meetings as well so I did all three um, but the thing that I realized is the work that you do in the 12 steps, um, you know, basically, so basically what you do in the 12 steps is, is I'm not going like, to go through the whole steps and everything like that, but basically what you do is you come to the realization that you, have, there's a problem that's bigger than you, right? That this thing is bigger than you, that you need help. Now there's a bunch of other stuff it says and whatnot. The part that I always thought that worked for me was admitting that I had a problem changing the person that I am, realizing what the fuck was wrong with me, why I wanted to use in the first place, becoming the person I always wanted to be, becoming a, and know, knew that I could be, and learning to be okay with myself and have peace with myself. And that's what I found through my recovery. And if you can find that through the 12 steps, you can find it through the 12 steps, you can find it through, you know, working with a counselor, you can find it like that. If you can find it through smart recovery, you can do it like that, through Dharma recovery, through religion, through meditation, through spirituality, whatever. But that the key at the end of it, it's it's learning to be able to live with yourself and be at peace with yourself for who you are. And I had never been able to do that and actually like the person that you are, right? So a lot of a lot of issues that I think a lot of people have in early recovery is guilt. And I had a lot of guilt. I had done a lot of things wrong in my life. I had fucked over a lot of people, but I had to learn to forgive myself. And it was through that forgiving myself that I was able to really start to let people in and to start to let myself out. What I mean by that is to, to, to like, I was, you know, very much a shy introverted person. I think I became much more extroverted and much more open. And, you know, I think, you know, playing WoW ha helped me do that. I played a lot of World of Warcraft and talked to people and started streaming and started talking to people and, you know, just learning to, be okay with myself and, and share myself with other people. And also for the first time that I got clean, I didn't get into a relationship. I, 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 I stayed single after I left the girl in, you know, in, in North Carolina, I stayed single and it was like the first time I was like, it was just me and my own thoughts and my own shit. And I just sat there and I just, it was like, okay, this is my life. Who am I? Who the fuck am I? And, 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 you know, it, it was a lot of work and I'm not going to say it's easy, but the reward is that you can live your life without using a fucking substance and go through shit and, and actually feel okay every day and wake up and go to sleep and have a normal life. Like to me, I never thought I'd be able to do that without, without using some sort of, some form of, of drug to get me high. Right. And whether you have to do that being on a medicated assisted treatment, like like it is, like for some people, some people are diabetic and need treatment. Some people are on are on you know suboxone or methadone or whatnot. It's to you know because people don't realize how much damage was is done to the brain during addiction. What medicated what medicated assisted treatment helps with is it helps that 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 up and down that complete does just roller coaster ride come to a, a stop and start to heal and the brain can start to come back to its normal state. 
and a lot of people, you know, shun it or whatnot. But I think whatever it takes for someone to stop using, to get to a place where they can start to work on themselves, is 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 great. You know what I mean? I think it's great, and I think a lot of people um, have a a lot of issues with it. There's a stigma still with like medicaid assisted treatment and stuff like that. Um, I think the stick is most, mostly with other um, at recovering addicts, though. Would you agree? Yes, yes, yes. But I think it's getting a lot better. I think it's gotten a lot better over the years. So um, I now work in the field. I'm a certified recovery specialist. I help people in recovery. Um, and what I do is, you know, is, is I basically uh, work with peer support. So it's like people come in, they need either someone to talk to. They need someone to help them with, you know, so we do a range of things where we can, you know, help someone try with, with life skills, like trying to find a job or trying to build a resume or just trying to, you know, learn how to live their life without drugs. Like it's a range of things. It's, it's a, it's a mediation between, you know, uh, being that, that guide, that kind of, you know, of a, I don't want to say a counselor because counselors have their own place. Therapists have their own place, right? CRS does not take the role of a counselor. We kind of are a um, a mediator in between that. We're kind of like it, like that. That peer support is the best way to put it, right? But we also help people, especially people in early recovery, to just be able to you know um, find themselves and to be able to be okay with themselves and and help them with a lot of the things that they don't know how to do. And a lot of my work doing that helps me stay clean today, right? It helps me in my own recovery because I get to see people who are coming in this and, and it reminds me of where I was and it, and it reminds me of the place that I was in and just helping them, like it just, it, it does a lot for me, it does. But it also reminds me that I don't want to be in this fucking place, especially now when the things have gotten so bad, right? So I will actually have 10 years on Wednesday uh, Holy shit, clean. dude! Yeah, congrats, man. Thank you, my goodness. Thank you. Very proud Holy of you. Shit, Thank dude. You guys. I, yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, yep. because like the the way you you because you're you're such a good storyteller. It, it seems like that was like yesterday, like all that crazy shit. But it's ten yeah. years, huh? Holy ten shit. years, man. Ten years. A lot, a lot of work in those ten years. Like I said, the first three I spent basically white knuckling it. Um. And thanks for saying a good story. I always feel that I'm a bad storyteller because I feel like I jump no, around a lot. But you were captivating today, man. Like, oh, thank you. Seriously, thank you. Um, no, I mean you're you're. It's amazing. Uh, also, like I don't. I hope uh, when you look at this, <laughs> the visuals for this doesn't give you PTSD because uh, there's going to be um, <laughs> the AI visuals. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love that, man. I love that. I think it looks really yeah. cool. Yeah. No, I, I hope it doesn't uh, trigger you or anything. Um, oh no, because no. the psych ward stuff is going to be nuts. Uh, yeah, man. I, yeah. I, I, but I feel like I, I wanted to, you know, include that story because I feel like a lot of people can relate to that losing of the mind, and 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 also I wanted to, you know, let people know that you know, drugs like synthetic marijuana and and benzos can lead to a psychosis and can completely, you know, up, th- just throw your life into a uh, into a you know. A, a shitstorm, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, so, also awareness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, awareness for those who um, who are family members who who have people yes, struggling with as it, well. and then like understanding 
um, what they're going through and that, um, you know, hopefully they're, they get out of it and, and recover. Um, I think it's interesting about like rock bottom, right? Cause like there's an idea called like global minimum, right? And like mm. local minimum, but it, you know, the global minimum is death. Yes, absolutely. Um, mm. So when you're searching for rock bottom, you know, like, the Marianas Trench is death, right? But yeah. you don't need to go searching for a rock bottom, the Marianas Trench, to know that 10 feet of water will kill you, mm. right? So I I think it's like, how do you process like local bottoms? I, I think your your local bottom was, um, you know, your mom pretty much stopping the enabling and mm-hmm. pretty much like you were left to your own, left to your own, like yeah. truly alone. Yeah, and, truly alone and and truly um without any like I had nothing. I had no car, right. no I was ba- I was I was somehow living in an apartment that I had nothing in because I had taken a loan out um before my credit had gotten really bad, but there were times where I was living in a car where I got kicked out or I was living in a car for a few days. There were times where I was homeless, you know. Um mm. and I think for like you don't have to hit rock bottom to get clean. I think that's a that's a that's something that people need to realize is like if you have the education and you have the right, right resources, you don't have to get that low because the the sad truth is a lot of people don't get to hit rock bottom. They you know like yeah. you said the real rock, they, they 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 die, right? They they don't get to experience what it's like to like my experience like i had relapsed many times some people use for the first time and they die you know yeah some people relapse one time and then they die and and that's the sad truth and i think a lot of people so i like to say this and i like to say this with it with a with a caveat because in my life i had a lot of regrets i had a lot of mistakes that i made but i look back and i say to myself do I wish I could have done it all over again? And honestly, I, I don't think I would. Because the person I am today is a mesh of all those choices that I made. And I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't gone through what I went through. That's you know? fucking beautiful, man. That's true you know? acceptance. That's yeah. true acceptance of who you are. Right? You're, you, you love yourself to the point where all the past you know, your past, even though it's bad, uh, created what you love today. Exactly. Right. And, you know, there are things that I've done in my life that I, that I will never forget, but I, I say, I I know that for whatever reason I had to go through that to be the person I am today. And the, the thing that I struggle with though, is that, why did so why do so many people like so many people didn't get that chance though you know what i mean the thing that i struggle with is that so many people die and they don't get that chance and and that's i don't have the answers for that i don't all i know is that you you if you're listening to this you have the power to stop you have the power to become the person that you always wanted to be and you have the power to truly accept yourself and and to be happy and you don't have to be that statistic or that you don't have to be that, um, you know, person in the newspaper, you know, or the person on the documentary or whatnot. You can be who you want to be and not 
and 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 actually like yourself and say that you know I got here. Yeah, it might have been a fucked up road, but I got here, right? Yeah, and um, I was going to say this, man. Actually, like, there's chances are there's one person or perhaps many are listening to this and uh, are struggling right now. And I guess, like, what would you say is step one, like, or step two and step three? The first steps you're gonna you, that someone needs to take in order to get help if they want to get help. Yeah. So in order to get help, it, it's a lot easier than you think. It's a lot easier. If you have someone, if you have a loved one that's there to support you, obviously that's the way to go, right? If you have someone that's supporting that 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 is there for you, and a lot of the times, you know, there there are people out there who don't have anyone. There are places that you can go to. There are places you can call if you guys want. I can give you guys a, a number that you can put at the end of this or put a link um, to yeah, send that know, to me for, for support. Sure. And um, you know, I mean, I, the the main thing is right. The very first step, and not the first step, in in not saying that I, you know, knowing that you have a problem, or you know, you know, this is beyond that, right? If you if you know that you have an issue, you know you have a problem. Um, the first step is to like really, really accept it, and to understand that you have a choice. Like you have the option to get help. There is no, it, there is no end other than you know, getting help or death or, or going into, you know, a a prison, right? There's like three options, you know what I mean? For someone it's death, prison, or getting help and getting help is a lot easier than you think, right? It's, it's a phone call away. It's a person away. It's a conversation away. You can go to a hospital, right? You can go to a, uh, you can call the support line. A lot of hospitals now will have people that work there, like CRSs and caseworkers that will get you in contact with the rehab. If you don't have insurance, it's not a problem, right? There's a lot of, you know, places that will take you without insurance. I didn't have insurance, right? I didn't have insurance. I had this state, you know, uh, paid for it. So like, if you don't have insurance, it's not a problem. You can get help still. There are places that will help you. So I think that's the main thing is like to, to realize that there is help out there to know that no matter what you're going through, there's, an answer for it. There's an option for you. That's, that's like the, I think that that is because like, I, I didn't want to feel sick, right? I didn't want to feel the pain of getting clean. And I didn't want to stop my whole life cycle for such a long time. But then when I realized how, how just, even though I had to go through those hoops of going to like, you know, somewhere down in Virginia, that's, that's a rare case, right? Like, Usually you'll be able to find a place around you much easier, okay? To find a rehab or whatever you're going through. If you need to do a, an outpatient, whatever it is, whatever, right? For me, it was a rare case. But like when I realized just how easy it was for my mom to make a one phone call and get me into a place that easily, like if I knew it was that easy, and and guess what? I didn't feel sick. I didn't. I didn't. You know, I for a lot of people, it's hard when you first get clean. Because they don't know what to do or where to go or what or what to um, what to do really. A lot of people just get stuck in this um, you know way of life, and that's what they get addicted to the way of life. And that's the thing you have to look at is is look at you know is this way of life so good to to or what what is what is it that's keeping you here? Right, like really look at it. What is it that's keeping you here when you know that there are options out there? 
And I took a hard look at that and I said, like, what is keeping me in this cycle, in this cycle of destruction? And I didn't have a good answer. I really didn't. I mean, everything I looked at, I was like, well, my relationship, yeah, well, that's like ending. That's, you know, this isn't a real relationship. Um, my, my environment, my environment was fucked. I needed to get out of it. Um, what else was there that was holding me down other than the drug? And when I knew that I, I could get, I could find a place that would help me with the help that I needed and put me on medicated assisted treatment. So I didn't have to, you know, go through or, you know, would go, put me through a, um, a, 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 a detoxification that would not have to make me go through a sickness or whatever. When I realized that it was that easy, there's no excuse. There was no excuse for me other than it's just what I knew. It was my life and it's it's what I knew and it's what was comfortable. I, I don't want to push back too much because, you know, your experiences are entirely your own. And um, what I feel like, because you, you mentioned that um, you didn't care if you killed yourself, right? Like if you mm-hmm. if your life ended. I feel like that's depression, right? That's depression. And Absolutely. so yeah. if you're in depression... I'm not sure if like, even if there are options available out there, you would care to look for it or care to, to, to use it. I'm just wondering like, how do you, how do you treat depression when you're Mm. going through these things? Well, yeah. I mean, so there's always, almost always, not always, but almost always underlying, um, mental health issue with, 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 with addiction. Right. So for me, that help came after getting clean. Mm. Like the depression didn't just end when I got clean. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the, the, the depression, like, so, you know, what I said is, is, is very much for was my own, you know, like you said, it was my own experience, right? Looking back, it's a lot harder when I was probably in that scenario to do what I, what I did. Right. You know, looking back now, hindsight's 2020. Right. But for me, like it's hard to, it's sometimes hard to look back and like, look at my, my state of mind and say, how did I not get help earlier? Like, why didn't I get help earlier or why didn't I? Right. And I know for a fact that I had, felt like there was no like there was like it wasn't worth it like i i wasn't right. worth it right and i knew that i felt like i wasn't even i was beyond help i felt like mm-hmm. i was beyond help and i wasn't worth it yeah and I, to I, those people who feel that way that's a that's you know i understand like it's hard to just say like go out and get help and there's help out there but I think it's important to let people know that there is help, right? That there is, yeah. even for that person that feels like, you know, that they've been sh- sh- like completely just shat on their entire life or have been, you know, thrown to the side by society and left out for years, right? For that person, right. you know, there is still hope, right? Because at the end of the day, you're still a human being. You still deserve to have happiness. You still deserve to have a life, right? And yeah, I think for 
Yeah. And there's a thought Go experiment ahead. too you can do too. Like that feeling you're feeling right now, if you are feeling hopeless or lost or depressed, uh, this might be a little mind virus. Like that that's a state of mind that can be changed too, right? That doesn't define who you are. Mm. You can get out of that. There's ways to get out of that. There's either medications or um, or, or, or you can talk to someone or you can actually do mental exercises to move yourself out of those mindsets. So if you can think that everything's temporary, even your addiction or your state of mind or your mental illness, these things can all, can all be temporary. Yeah. Yeah. It's a combination with what Matt was saying. Like if you realize that you are in control of your life, right? Like what's, what's keeping you here? What's keeping you in that state? Like, yeah, is this, I think that's is it only just thought. drugs? Well, then, fucking do something about it, right? And I think it's kind of hard to tell a depressed person, "Hey, get out of depression, bro." But it's, um, it. I think the realization that you have, uh, you do have. It, it's up to your willpower to get out of it. Yeah, and, and I would it say really is internal. Yeah, I, I would just say that with like, it's not, it's not so much about the depression, like the depression. Yes, that is the I'm not saying that the, the depression is going to not stop you. What I'm saying is don't think about the depression first. Think about the addiction. Work mm. on the addiction first. Then work paired, on the right, depression, yeah. right? Like what I'm trying to say is we're all pretty much everyone in addiction is in depression as well. Like a, a, mm. not everyone, but a lot of a lot of people, right? Work on the addiction first. And then work on the depression. It will come with it once you start working on yourself. I see. It's it's it is what I was trying to say. You know what I mean? It's 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 not so much that I think that you know, like just hey, get up, your, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, like that. I hate that kind of you know mentality. I think that mm. that's why I'm such a big advocate for medicated assisted treatment. Is it because it allows people to say, okay, I can still be on a medication that's going to help and this medication is going to help me i'm not going to feel sick right so i don't have to worry about the with well you know some people do feel sick and and i understand that but it's going to help with the withdrawal it's going to help with the triggering thoughts it's going to help with the feeling of you know of not having anything or whatever and i think a lot of people um try to go right past Medicaid assisted treatment and try to go to, um, you know, like a, a abstinence. And if that's what works for you, that's great. That's amazing. I think that's, that's awesome too. But I think be open to any avenue of recovery, be open to what might work for you. Don't just say, I'm going to do this one way because this is what I heard. And that goes for me saying with what I said about Medicaid assisted treatment, right? But be open to any way all the different ways of recovery because there are a lot of different ways. And I think that's important right. because a lot of people, um, you know, they'll like a lot of people will be pushed into the 12 steps and they'll say, this is the only way you can do it is abstinence. And if that's the fact, you know, say, okay, well, what are some other options? What are some other options I have? You know, I, I've heard that there are other things I could do. I'll just say you know, this. There'd be a lot more yeah. people dead today. If, if, if abstinence was the only way. There'd yeah. be a lot more people dead today if absence yeah. was the only way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's so that like with depressed people, when they, they get treatment, um, a lot of people do get medical assistance, right? Like uh, like pills and whatnot. But that's yes. only to suspend their the chemical imbalance in their head to 
to get through their thoughts, to get through like, you know, therapy. And like once, once they deal with the trauma and the ther and like the, the issues that they have, then they can slowly get off the medical assistance. So they're, they're, it's kind of a, an easing. Not necessarily. There, there are people who have to be medicated for their entire life. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I was, I was much like referring to like someone that I know who had to go. Oh, through okay. It. It's sorry. only to yeah. suspend yeah. a little bit because you know it's like insane in their minds. Right. You have to right. quell it to actually listen to someone and to deal with the the, the issues. Right. And right. If that holds, if the the therapy holds, then you know they can ab- abstain from from anything. But uh, yes, I, I think it's important to. Um, to realize what you're saying, like take any assistance that you can to get out of the addiction, and then you know, hopefully you'll you'll deal with yourself, like whatever that is. Yeah, and that's that's the goal, right? Is to be able to start working on yourself. But like the addiction right. has to be dealt with first. Yeah, it has to be. You can't work on yourself and say, "I want to get, I'm going to get over my depression, my uh, anxiety, my bipolar, and all this." While I still use heroin, like, yeah, no, you're not, not yourself, nor and it, and it totally obfuscates everything else in your mind. Yeah, it, yeah. it's like putting a, a werewolf guy uh, <laughs> yeah, at, at therapy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like I have, I have, I have an issue. Yeah, I look at the moon and uh, I turn into a werewolf. Yeah. Well, the thing yeah. is, uh, people also don't realize how damaging and how. Tra- uh, traumatizing the lifestyle of addiction is right it's not just the drug that does the damage it's the lifestyle that does the damage uh, most of the time and yeah. what people don't realize is that is what you're recovering from as well it's that lifestyle and people are also addicted to that lifestyle i was addicted to the lifestyle because i liked the person that i was and i was chasing not only was i chasing that high but i was chasing that person that i was yeah, I, even when you're in your deepest, darkest places, you're chasing that person you were five years ago or whatever, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think that is an important thing to realize is that it's not just about coming off of the drug all the time. It's about coming out of that lifestyle and finding a new lifestyle that is better, is healthier. Yeah. 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 Damn, dude, this was good. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, dude. I'm glad we talked about it, man. I... uh I feel, I feel like I just got out of a therapy session almost. <laughs> oh, sobering, yeah. but but very very good, and I think it's uh, I think it'll help a lot of people hopefully. Yeah, and like I said, we'll put some links for some places. If anyone's going through anything right now, crisis or you know anything, we'll put some links for there. Feel free to um, you know look in the description if you're going through anything, and um, also if you know you know you want to comment and ask me a question, I'll look at this and. If there's anyone who has any particular questions that, to ask me um, about my life or whatnot, I'd, I'd be happy to, uh, to get back yeah, to you. If you're going to comment, comment on YouTube. It's easier for him to see it. Yes, yeah, on YouTube, please. But um, yeah, man, like it's it's a beautiful life we live in. And you know, I, I think that a lot of times we get in these really desperate, hard, uh, hopeless situations. Um, but there's people out there that care about you. There's people out there that love you. And if, if not, there's people out there that like, like I said, like, you know, I know a lot of people listening to this might feel like, might feel like they don't have anyone, but the fact of the matter is there's someone out there who will help you and will care about you. 
And that's my job is to help people and, you know, care about them. And that's, that's what I'm saying that there's people out there like CRSs, there's people out there like counselors, there's people out there that will help you, even though you feel like there's no one out there, there's someone out there. Damn. Yep. All right, man. Dude, congrats on your 10 years, dude. That's, Thank I'm, you. Thank absolutely. you. I really appreciate That's that. That's fucking amazing, dude. Yeah, man. By the time this comes out, he'll be clean 10 years, man. 10 years, baby. Goddamn. Very proud of my brother. <laughs> Thank dude. you. I'm very yeah. proud of you, Thank- too, Phil. That's uh, true. I don't know. It yeah. pales the comparison to that, but yeah. <laughs> oh, stop it. Oh, stop it. <laughs> but here's a here's a here's something that I will give uh, like a, like a, a little hopeful at the end just for something but yes it's bad out there but i will say this in my little corner of where we are right now of what we've been doing we've been having a lot of success with people and i think that i really do feel that this battle not the war on drugs not the right not the war, not that war but the battle that we've been having in this country with addiction i do feel like there is going to be a um, silver lining and 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 a and a, uh, a light at the end of the tunnel with this. I, I think addiction will be a problem for a long time, but I do think this opiate addiction will be um, not going to say cured, but I think we're gonna we're gonna win it. Um, we're we're definitely doing some good things out there, and the more people that we have helping in any kind of way, just by getting clean. Uh, we'll add to that for sure. So I, 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 I think that there are a lot of people out there doing some really good work is what I was trying to say. Yeah. And that's what, um, that's what I feel grateful about. Yeah. Dude, you are perfect for this, man. You are, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're highly empathetic. You're, you can, you good storyteller. I think you're perfect for yeah. it. It's like ChatGPT designed uh, Matt to be in this role. I think, you that's know, true. it's like oh, evolution God. algorithm <laughs> just came in and it's like, and you came yeah, out. That's all way. I am. That's all. No, no, I no. Am. We're I'm saying sorry. we're saying no, like no, no, AI sorry, would select that. you as like the <laughs> yeah, person yeah, yeah, to be yeah. in that job. You, you would know? be the yeah. You yeah. would be the training yeah. algorithm for like perfect. Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. for sure. And you know, I, I I enjoy it, man. I love it. It's uh, it's not. That's great. It's yeah. not every day that you get to do the thing you love, right? You know. So. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much, man. Thank you, guys. And uh, one more thing, just real quick. Thanks, to, uh, Matt, for being here. And also, check the description if you are in need of help. And um, reach out on YouTube if you want to uh, maybe comment. Hopefully, Matt will see it. So, all right, everyone. Have a great see one. See you guys. See ya. All right. See you. We'd like to end this podcast with an anonymous quote. I am not defined by my relapses, but my decision to remain in recovery despite them. Thank you for tuning in to Chaos People and joining us as we embraced the chaos. You can find Chaos People on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts by searching for Chaos People. You can also find us on YouTube by searching for at Chaos People Podcast. That's an ampersand followed by Chaos People Podcast. If you'd like to support this podcast, please click on the donation links found either in the show notes or in the YouTube description. Currently, you can support this podcast via Patreon or via Spotify which will directly help us buy more computing power to create better audio content and video content for the podcasts. You can also follow Chaos People on Twitter by searching for the handle at ChaosPeoplePod. You can email us at ChaosPeoplePodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the podcast on whatever platform you choose.
Thank you so much.